Okay. Welcome, everybody, back to Religion and Pop Culture mini-series with me, Rabbi Uri Cohen. And uh, this topic is uh, is about God, representations of God in uh, in the media, specifically uh, a few examples of movies and television. Uh, the title of this class, uh, What If God Was One of Us, uh, is a line from a song called One of Us by Joan Osborne. That song... Uh, became the theme song of the TV show Joan of Arcadia, which uh, which we'll, we'll talk about. I'm assuming that everybody is at least a little bit familiar with Bruce Almighty, probably not with Joan of Arcadia, and probably nobody's watched Oh God recently enough. But uh, so, but I, I put I put the uh, the two movies at the end of the class so that. Uh, we may or may not have time to uh, to talk about the movies because we we really have a lot a lot to cover in this. Uh, really, you could do a whole course on uh, uh, representations of God in uh, in the media, but let's uh, let's not uh, let's squeeze it into one. And uh, I want to start by uh, by sharing uh, some pictures um, which will relate to um, some of the. The, the sources on the uh, on the source sheet. Uh, the first on the we didn't not not that we're going to go through this, but uh, the quotes at the beginning of the of the source sheet. Uh, starting in 1999, there was an anonymous campaign uh, across America and then spreading to uh, other countries as well to have billboards on streets and highways uh, that with with a line signed God, message from uh, from God. Uh, so just in case there's anybody out there who's looking for a sign from God, here it is. Here's a literal sign from God. So I put I put about 10 or 12 of them on the on the source sheet. Here's just another one that I found uh, the other day. This one's, I think, from New Zealand. Um, Every day I get more prayer requests for car parks, meaning parking spots, than anything else. You people need to start thinking bigger. Okay, that God. Uh, okay. It's it's cute. It's clever. Apparently, it's funded by different people in different uh, countries. Um, the we're going to uh, uh, quote a poem from the uh, book of poems called "And God Braided Eve's Hair" by uh, by Danny Siegel. Uh, after that, we'll we'll see uh, um, an idea from the faith of Judaism by Rabbi Isidore Epstein. After that, uh, we will uh, look at something from a one of the most important books on. Uh, uh, television in, in its place in uh, in culture, amusing ourselves to death by by Neil Postman. Uh, that that was the earlier cover. This is the later cover. Uh, and then we'll look at a few quotes from uh, from uh, movies. Uh, I'm not actually recommending this one, Dogma, but uh, such a uh, such such an impressive lineup of uh, of stars uh, from this uh, 1999. Very anti-Catholic. Um, uh, movie. Uh, we'll have a quote from uh, from the book Wizards at War uh, by uh, Di- Diane Duane. We'll have a quote from The Shack, a uh, best-selling book about about God or at least Christian God, um, uh, having a conversation uh, with uh, with somebody. We'll hopefully we'll look at uh, a brief quote and we'll talk briefly about the uh, TV an- short-lived TV animated series God, the Devil, and Bob. Um, then uh, uh, I hope to play a quote from uh, from the Adjustment Bureau. 
another uh, another movie. This one's from uh, 2011. Uh, we'll talk about Joan of Arcadia television uh, series uh, that was from 2003 to 2005. And then, assuming that, that we have time, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Oh God, the original book compared with Oh God, the movie uh, starring uh, George Burns. There's really a lot of material here. And uh, we'll probably end with uh, Bruce Almighty. Here's uh, from the uh, DVD that has um, both a uh, parody on Michelangelo on uh, the Sistine Chapel over here on the right, uh, and uh, also the uh, the image of Bruce with the with the world on a string as his yo-yo. If you could be God for one week, uh, what would you do? Anyway, so that's uh, that's a preview of what we're going to be uh, talking about. A lot to, a lot to talk about here. Um, but what I'd like to start out with is. Torah sources, but specifically Torah sources, which we will contrast with everything we just, uh, all the examples we, we, we just gave. Uh, this is uh, unlike last week when we talked about tshuva, and you can compare tshuva in A Christmas Carol with tshuva in, in the Rambam. Here, here this is more problematic. Um, the... Actually, I'll skip the first couple of, uh, of sources. If we, if we have time, we'll come back to them. Um, but God, I didn't even put this on the, uh, on the source sheet. You know, what does God look like? This is a trick question, right? God does not look like anything. God does not have a body. Uh, one of the 13 uh, essential beliefs, according to the Rambam, uh, is that God is not physical. Uh, God does not have a body. Uh, and one of the issues that the Rambam uh, deals with is, uh, but how about all those places in Tanakh and even a few Gemaras that make it look like uh, God has uh, God has a body? Now, those those are all metaphors. Um, but so so when we say God is a king and God sits on the throne of justice, so that's that's a metaphor. What I wanted to emphasize is that in our tradition, before we we talk about the Hollywood tradition. Um, in our tradition, there are multiple images of God. We just usually don't talk about them. There's one source, there's one text that uh, many of us uh, say or sing or, or listen to, or maybe we used to listen to back when we went to uh, the synagogue on, on Shabbat mornings, Anam um, Zemirot, uh, that they often give a little kid to it to sing at the end of, um, uh, of the service. Uh, on the topic that God has multiple images, even according to us. Well, God's not physical, but when we imagine God, and we'll talk shortly about why we do need to imagine God, we need to remember something, and that is, whenever we imagine God, we, we have to remind ourselves that this is not really what God looks like. God doesn't really look like a king. God doesn't really uh, sit. God doesn't really have a beard. Uh, Whatever we imagine God as, that's not, that's not really, it's, it's as if. And the way it's formulated in Anam's Mirot, um, this uh, classic uh, 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 Kabbalistic song, uh, just looking at the bold parts here, Adamcha achancha v'lo yidaticha. The poet says to God, I, uh, um, I compare you. But I don't re- or I, I, I say you're like this or like that, but I don't really know you. Your prophets, your prophets 
described you. They imagined you. Dimyon. Dimyon is uh, saying that vi a similarity or an imagination. This is like that. They, they imagined you. But not in accordance with your yesh. Not in accordance with what you really are, God. Rather, rather they, they equate you with your deeds. But really, really, the poet says to God, I don't really know what you look like. It's all, I don't know you. At the end of it, reading everything, learning all the Torah, ultimately this is not what you really are. In many visions, they, the prophets, made mishalim. They, they made parables or allegories to describe God, but but really you are one beyond all the images. Meaning God is not really any of these, any of these things. Any image to, to, uh, to describe God, it only helps us understand God in a very limited way. It's better than nothing. So that's why they describe God as uh, with both being old and being young. Uh, when we imagine God judging us, we imagine God as an old, wise judge, which is fine, as long as you know that God's not really that. And when we imagine God fighting for us and defending us, we imagine that God is a young warrior. That's great, except that God's not really that either. So what is God? Short answer is, we don't know. Our tradition tells us that God is not any of these things, but there is a value, there is a value in uh, imagining God in any case. Hold that thought, we'll come back to it. There's a Midrash, which is not that well known, that speaks about Matan Torah, when God gave the Torah at Har Sinai, and everybody heard, according to the of Rav Kahana, why does it say, Anochi Hashem Elohecha? I am the Lord, your God, your God, singular, but God's talking to, to everybody. Because God presented each person who was there at the Revelation at Sinai with a personalized experience. Every Jew said to himself, God is speaking with me personally. The Midrash says, just like there are some paintings or statues where their eyes follow you around the room. You imagine that it's looking at you wherever you are. So every, every person who, who heard God at Harsinai heard God in a personalized way. And then Midrash goes on to say, you shouldn't be surprised at this, because after all, there's a well-known tradition that when the Jews ate the man, the manna in the desert, it tasted like anything they wanted to. So God can personalize these, uh, these sort of things. Uh, and the Midrash concludes that, why does it say, uh, in the, one of the uh, Prakim of Tehillim that uh, said in a few times in, in the Siddur, Kol Hashem Bakoach, for example, uh, on Friday night, Kol Hashem Bakoach, the, the sound of God or the voice of God is in the ability, power, strength. It should have said Kol Hashem Bakocho, God's voice is in his strength. But rather it says in strength or in the ability, to Kol Echad Ve'echad, God's uh, voice is in the ability of each person to hear that voice. So God is saying, there are many different voices. Each person hears me with a different voice, but you should know that they're all one. This is going to be important when we talk about uh, what does God actually look like, what does God uh, sound like. But the question is, since we don't believe that God is physical, and all the descriptions of God are just metaphorical. Well, then why do we have them at all? 
so I found a bunch of sources that talk about this. I have a separate source sheet on this. This is just just uh, uh, two or three more sources before we move move on from this. Anthropomorphism, imagining God in human terms, is actually necessary. Uh, Rabbi Isidore Epstein, um, who is uh, he was the head of Jews College in London, uh, best known as being the editor of the Sonsino English uh, Talmud from the 1930s to 1950s. He has a in his in his book Faith of Judaism he quotes actually a uh, uh, early uh, 20th century uh, 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 Christian philosopher uh, W R Matthews. All thoughts must be conditioned by the experience and nature of the thinker. To try to find concepts which are not in some sense human is like to attempt to jump out of one's skin. We we can't use categories which we do not possess. Um, and therefore, Rabbi Epstein comments, a divine being, therefore, can be described by man only in those terms with which he is most familiar, Na- namely those terms in which he describes his own being. And Leo Tolstoy, uh, who has his religious writings in addition to his famous uh, very large novels, he wrote, I address my prayers to a personal God, not because God is personal, I know that he, he's illimitable, he doesn't have limits, but because I myself and personal unlimited. If I wear green spectacles, I see everything green, though I know perfectly well that the world is not green. In this, uh, Leo Tolstoy was a uh, prefigure, uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, where you have to put on the, uh, the green glasses when you go to uh, the Emerald City, at least in the early uh, part of the uh, Oz series. The Emerald City is not actually green, but because you're required to wear green glasses, you perceive it, uh, perceive everything as, uh, as green. So uh, Rabbi Epstein goes on to say that all, quoting the rabbis, all anthropomorphic expressions in the Torah are simply due to the inadequacy of human speech. We need them because we don't have any other way to describe God. We don't have any way to describe anything except for in people terms. A mouse doesn't look like Mickey Mouse. A bunny doesn't actually look like Bugs Bunny. These are examples of anthropomorphism. That's the other way. Anthropomorphism is the form of people. We imagine God in human form. We imagine animals in human form because that's the way to get some, to relate. That's the way to connect. It's necessary to use anthropomorphism, but we have to remember that it's not real. It's only a mashal. It's only, uh, it's only a, uh, a tool. And to illustrate this point, I want to look at a quote from Rabbi Sachs, and then, then we'll move on to the uh, pop culture. Uh, the late Rabbi Sachs has a great essay, fascinating point called The Spirituality of Listening. Uh, this is not the whole essay, but it's uh, some of the most important parts. Judaism is a religion of listening. The twin foundations on which Western culture was built were ancient Greece and ancient Israel, like that holiday we just had not too long ago, last month. Uh, they could not have been more different. Greece was a profoundly visual culture. Its greatest achievements had to do with seeing. Some of the greatest art, sculpture, and architecture the world had ever seen. Its group events, theatrical performances, and the Olympic Games were spectacles, performances that were watched. And the idea that knowing is seeing remains the dominant metaphor in the West today. We speak of insight, foresight. Hindsight, we offer an observation, we adopt a perspective. These are all visual metaphors. We illustrate, we illuminate, we shed light on an issue, and when we understand something, we say, I see. That's, that's just you know, the world that we live in, that the Western world has lived in. But Rabbi Sachs suggests, Judaism offered a radical alternative. It's faith in a God we cannot see. 
a God who cannot be represented visually, and making a graven image is a form of idolatry. So Moshe reminds the people at the beginning of Sefer uh, Devarim, um, you heard the sound, of, uh, talking about uh, Harsina, you heard the sound of words, but you saw no image. There was only a voice. God communicates in sounds. God calls, and that's why the supreme religious act is the Shema. Listen. God speaks, and we listen. And then he quotes Rav David Pohn, who was uh, known as the Nazir, major, one of the major Talmudim of Rav Cook, who wrote a whole book, or almost a whole book, about this idea that, uh, that Judaism is more about listening than about seeing. So what? So Rabbi Sachs goes on to say, this is a huge difference. For the Greeks, ideal form of knowledge involves detachment. There's, there's the one who sees, that's the subject, and then there's that which is seen, the object. The person who looks at a painting or a sculpture or a play or the Olympic Games is not himself part of the art or the drama or the competition. He's a spectator, not a participant. In contrast, and this will, this will be the last thing we, we see from Rabbi Sachs here, Speaking and listening are not forms of detachment. They're forms of engagement. They create a relationship. Da'at, knowledge, implies involvement, intimacy. We can enter into a relationship with God, even though God is infinite and we are finite, and those don't seem to be compatible. But we can do it anyway because we are linked by words. Through Matan Torah, revelation, God speaks to us. And in prayer, and maybe learning, we speak to to God. This is a way to make sense of why Hashem not only said, don't make images of me, but Hashem put that into the Ten Commandments. So presumably it's, in some way anyway, more important than the other, uh, many of the other commandments. We can't visualize God, and that's important which is fine until you live in a culture in which everything is the image. And we live in that culture much more than the Greeks did, as uh, Professor Postman says. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole quote here, but he talks about the value of the second commandment, lo uh, pesel. He says, people like ourselves who are in the process of converting their culture from word-centered to image-centered might profit by reflecting on this mosaic injunction, mosaic meaning of, uh, of Moses. Neil Postman died before the Internet. He was talking about television, but uh, all of us now are interacting through screens, which, which we command them through, we, through icons. And then when we communicate with our little screens, we, we press the, the, the icons, and then when we finish our, uh, our messages, or maybe in the middle, we use emojis, which are even more images. So it will be very difficult to get away from uh, images. In fact, it's totally understandable if people who are not from a traditional Jewish culture just naturally uh, gravitate towards using images to present whatever they want to present. You know, with all due respect to uh, radio and podcasts, um, I, <laughs> you can't compare seeing to listening. The, the image, you know, picture is worth a, a thousand words. I understand why. 
people telling a story through television or the movies find it very difficult to have a story involving God in which God is not represented in a physical form. This is a problem for us. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean we we can't watch these um, these shows, but we need to recognize that every time you see God in a TV show or a movie, and I hope very very shortly to show you a few examples of things we can learn from depictions of God in TV and movies, but. It's not coming from a Jewish point of view, even though lots of Hollywood writers are Jewish, uh, or so they say. Um, but they're not; those writers are not coming from a Jewish perspective. They're coming from a media perspective. Uh, there are conventions of TV sitcom writing and TV drama writing. There are conventions of of, uh, of uh, documentaries and conventions of uh, Hollywood films and indie films and with all due respect to the stories about God that we're going to talk about, they're coming from a Christian perspective. They're coming from a world in which, in the foundational myths of Christianity, God took on human form and appeared to people looking like a person, and people interacted with God as a person. If that's what it says in your uh, foundational text, then if you're writing a story with God, it just makes sense to have God show up looking like somebody. So, um, so God can look like a lion in, in your, if you're writing the Chronicles of Narnia, or God can look like a person in most of the TV and movie descript, uh, depictions of, of God. I understand it. A religious Jew would not do it that way. But that's the uh, the pros and cons of uh, of being religious Jews who are consuming mass culture that is produced from a perspective that's not a traditional Jewish one. Okay, just we need to know that uh, going in. There's a, a I think a fascinating Wikipedia article in source number 19 called "Portrayals of God in Popular Media." This is just part of uh, of the article. Uh, they mentioned that. Uh, the role of God is a difficult one to play and a difficult one to uh, to cast. Uh, and then uh, God has largely been cast as white and male, except when they mentioned the green pastures, where everybody, including God, is, is black. Um, Bruce Almighty, of course, God is black as well. Um, but even before um, even before uh, recent movies, uh, God's voice uh, God's voice is a problem. Even if you don't represent, even even if you don't have uh, a person. Uh, the camera uh, focusing on somebody's face and that person's supposed to be God. How do you have God sound like anybody? Um, a filmmaker faces a choice about the voice to use with no scriptural guidance to, uh, to work from. It's not so, so, uh, it's not so simple. They mentioned that the movie Switch, they had God as two voices, one male and one female speaking simultaneously. If I remember correctly, in uh, The Prince of Egypt, they had um, the entire cast uh, recite God's words at the same time so it sounds like 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 much much bigger than uh, than one uh, one person's voice okay having said that so really this whole thing is problematic in the sense that none of these are going to fit with a traditional perspective nevertheless we should look for ideas and insights wherever we can find them 
And I want to share with you a few uh, brief ideas, parallels to Jewish ideas that I found in depictions of, of God. One of them is Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum, of course, there's a lot to say about that. There's the Kabbalistic idea that uh, God contracts himself. Uh, originally, God needed to contract himself in order to create the universe. Um, but the idea of Tzimtzum can apply it in all, all sorts of ways. If God is infinite and we are finite, how can God interact with us? There must be some sort of volitional uh, contraction on God's part, whatever that means. This works better in Kabbalah than in philosophy. But fine, there must be some sort of contraction on God's part in order to be able to interact with us at all. So I like, I'm just going to skip the quote from uh, Dogma uh, and go directly to Wizards at War. Um, Wizards at War as a, um, is part of the Young Wizards uh, fantasy series, uh, 11 books dealing with two teenage wizards. Uh, I recommend it. It's very different from Harry Potter, but uh, it it involves magic, but also heavy issues, religion and death and sacrifice and redemption. Anyway, so in, uh, in one of the later books, Wizards at War, the, uh, the heroes who are about to go to war with uh, whoever the villain is in that, uh, in that book, they're having a conversation with one of their friends who is um, sharing his body with a kind of angel. And they're, they're trying to understand what is this, what is this angel? And they're having a conversation with the person who's housing temporarily this angel. And the, the angel is called the guardian of the divided name. So one of the characters says, why, why, why would the, the one, who's clearly God, right? Why would the one, why would the one's full name need guarding? And the angel answers, it doesn't. You do from it. But, but the one is on our side. No, no, that's not the point, this angel says. You can't really have any sense of how much raw power is tied up in the one. Physicality can't express it. Nothing can express it. It's not meant to be expressed. It's meant to be. And if the one wasn't careful about how it, capital I, manifests, manifests itself inside space and time, everything would all just dissolve. I, I feel like that's a good reminder that God is not only... Uh, imminent, but God is also transcendent. Like we have a sense that if God created the universe, then God's a lot, lot bigger than whatever I can imagine. So, and so the idea of that maybe there we need guarding from God's power that fits very well with a lot of aspects in Judaism, especially in Tanakh. Somebody touches the uh, uh, the Aron, the original Aron, and they immediately die, or Nadav uh, and Avihu. Um, Possibly just getting in the way uh, of the divine uh, fire just incinerates them uh, uh, instantly. There's a debate among the commentaries whether Nadav and Aviyah were punished or it was just an unfortunate accident. They were, because they were carrying out the wrong activity, they were in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. So they got in the way, um, as opposed to the more standard approach in the commentaries that, that it was a punishment. Um, Anyway, so along these lines, there's a book which I, to be honest, don't recommend. It's called The Shack. Um, it, uh, it was a self-published book that sold over 18 million copies It's because it's very reassuring. It's a fictional story about a guy who undergoes a terrible tragedy, and he's very angry at God, and God summons him for a weekend. And he shows up, and God appears as the... Uh, the parents actually 
to be technical and it's a black woman because the main character has had an issue with his father, so God doesn't want to appear as a father, but anyway, God appears as the Trinity. It's a very Christian book. Uh, Jesus is one of the main characters. So I'm not actually recommending it, but there are a bunch, and lots of religious Christians don't like this book either. There's a lot of things in it about Christianity that are very not so standard, but there are a bunch of insights. And one of them is that the main character in talking to God is like, but wait, like, I'm telling you about my kids and my friends and my wife, but you already know everything I'm telling you, don't you? So God says, well, you do this yourself, limitation. You don't play a game or color a picture with your child to show your superiority. You, you limit yourself. You choose to limit yourself to facilitate and honor that relationship. And you'll even lose the competition. You play a game with your kid who's young enough that they can't possibly win against you. So you might lose the competition, depending on who you are, uh, depending on what kind of parent you are, to accomplish love. It's not about winning and losing. It's about love and respect. So God says, we have limited ourselves out of respect for you. We're not bringing to mind, as it were, our knowledge of your children. As we're listening to you, it says, if this is the first time we have known about, about them and we take great delight in seeing them through your eyes, which is very clever. And it turns out that a great rabbi said this exact thing a few hundred years ago, source number 12, the Or HaChayim, in dealing with the issue of how can we have free will if God knows everything ahead of time? That's an old question. All the Jewish philosophers, all the non-Jewish philosophers have, uh, have uh, addressed this issue. And the Ramam says, well, you've got to understand that God's knowledge is different from our knowledge. And just because God knows it doesn't mean that he knows it beforehand because really he's above time. And the Orachim is like, no, 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 no. Remember, he's a Kabbalist. Ki Hashem God can limit his knowledge. So that even though God ultimately does know everything, God can choose not to pay attention to that knowledge and therefore you have free will. Whether you buy this or not, as an, as an answer to the question of how can God, how can we have free will, uh, is another issue. But I just thought it was so interesting that in this very Christian uh, book with some innovative ideas about God, they ended up saying, they ended up presenting a symptom idea about God that fits very well with this, uh, with this Orachayim. Um, a couple more uh, 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 brief points. Uh, we say, Lashem Aretim uh, to God is the earth and everything in it. Some people even write that in their books. God owns everything, and, but this book belongs to. Um, and there's even a pasuk in Diver Hayamim, which is quoted in Perkeva, David says in a prayer to God, Everything is from you, God, and it's from your hand that we're giving to you. When we offer God sacrifices or charity or whatever, um, we're giving back to God because really everything belongs to God. It's hard to internalize that, though. It's, it's easy to feel that, like, well, why should I give? It's really, it's really mine. It's really not mine. And one brief line on Joan of Arcadia, which I'll explain uh, on the next page, where uh, is working at a book, bookstore and God is talking to her and, and wants to bring out a point and says, have you read this? And God holds up a book. And Joan says, you stole that. And God says, well, technically, everything belongs to me. And it's said as like a throwaway line in the, uh, uh, in the show, but, oh, yeah. I felt like that was like a reminder that, yeah, we, uh, we are, we're supposed to believe that. It's not so easy to, uh, to believe that. Sadiq Viralo. 
if God is good and God is all-powerful, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, you know what? This is a good question, and I want to share with you a, a fascinating answer to this question, uh, which is – wait a minute. Do you see YouTube here? Okay. Let's, uh, this is a brief scene from God, the Devil, and Bob, which ran for only 13 episodes – in uh in two th- in the year two thousand. I wouldn't call it a great series. But it has a bunch of good lines and there's a playlist on YouTube, all of the episodes are here. Anyway, there uh Bob, who's an ordinary guy, not especially good, but he has conversations with uh Bob has conversations with with, uh, with God. Okay. Watching? How could you let this happen? Now Bob What is wrong with you? I don't understand. And it's not just this. I mean, this cancer and war, random violence. Why? You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to love us. Why do you allow evil in the world? Oh, boy. That's the big one, isn't it? That's what everyone wants to know. Look, There's a train you're not coming. supposed to find this out till later. But the reason is... Like a cork circling a drain. A drain. Wow. I mean, when you lay it all out like that, it just makes so much sense. I'm sorry I yelled at you like that. No, that's okay. People are passionate about this issue. The end. Okay. One second. Okay. I uh, like that. I'm very impressed by that um by that scene why because the writers of the show cannot actually get away with presenting any explanation at all in putting in the mouth of god that that's why bad things happen to good people that's not going to work it's a question that continues to bother people you know it's an excellent question but what can they do they can present god as giving the answer to bob while a train passes by so that bob hears the answer and Bob is very convinced we can hear the answer because, sadly, we only hear the train. But the idea is that there is an answer, and God knows the answer. And we're not supposed to find this out until later. But it's very, I find anyway, it's very reassuring to feel that wouldn't it be nice if there really were an answer? I mentioned, let me share with you one other thing, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to uh, um to Joan of Arcadia, uh, there is a Gemara that has here on, on the bottom of the page, source number 17, that presents an, a little-known metaphor for God. You have this idea of God as God as the king, God as creator, God as judge, God as father, God as husband. The Gemara says God is an artist. And it says it on the words that um, in the Pasuk and Shmuel, Ein Tzur Kelohenu. On the Pshat level, there's no rock like our God. The word for rock is Tzur. Okay? The Drasha here, the Midrasha is Ein Tzayar Kelohenu. There's no person who draws like makes it Tzura. There's no, there's no painter, there's no artist like God. And uh, 
God's an even better painter than any person could be because a person can make an image but can't bring it to life. And God can even bring it to life. And then the Gemara goes on. But the, based on everything we know about art or with human art, like, what does that mean? Where can you go from there? And there are a bunch of places you could go from there. But I like this approach given in an unusual uh, source, a webcomic called Sinfest, which has been around. It's actually still going. It's the... Uh, one of the longest-running web comics around uh, the last uh, 20 years. Apparently, it's changed radically over the years, but uh, I have not been following it. Anyway, uh, somebody has a conversation with God. Uh, and God answers. You can tell it's God because, A, it's a voice from the clouds, and uh, God is speaking in Gothic font. So, obviously, it's God. Well, it's sort of a work in progress. It's open to interpretation and functions on multiple levels. So, the person says, great, our creator is an artist. And God concludes, it might be too deep for you. And I feel like, you know what? That actually works. It works imagining an artist explaining why the person can't get, the, the viewer doesn't understand the depth of their art. You know what? That might work. That's not exactly the same kind of answer as is presented in God, the Devil, and Bob. But I feel like that's one more example in which you don't have to agree with it, um, but it's, it's a thought-provoking idea about God that appears in this non-Jewish, uh, non-Jewish media. It uh, gives us something to, uh, to think about. So uh, skipping to, uh, to page five, the, uh, an article in the New York Times from a couple years ago uh, uh, when a TV show started called God Friended Me. Uh, mentioned that there are a bunch of TV shows from the last couple of decades that involve God or some other higher power who uh, uh, in, who call upon the uh, the main character to do some kind of weekly quest to do good or something like that. The the uh, the most memorable show of that of that type is uh, is Joan of Arcadia, described here in source number twenty three uh, in the Long Island the Long Island newspaper Newsday two thousand and seven. They went around asking a bunch of people, what Hollywood depiction of God do you most favor? And this guy, I couldn't find any information about him, Bill Renson, other than he, he works at a, a Catholic church on, uh, uh, somewhere in, uh, on Long Island. He said that he thinks the best portrayal of God is not on the silver screen, but on TV in Joan of Arcadia. It, this is not a comedy. It's a drama. But the main character, Joan, instead of, get it, instead of Joan of Arc, Joan of Arcadia, uh, she's an ordinary teenage girl who regularly received visits from God. And the thing that this guy, Bill, uh, most enjoyed was that the face of God changed in every visit. In fact, uh, in uh, over the few seasons uh, of, of the, that this show was on, they had over 50 different actors playing God. Each time God wants to talk to Joan, God appears looking like a person, but each time it's a different person, sometimes young, sometimes old sometimes uh, white, sometimes uh, black or Asian. And then this guy uh, thinks about it. Well, God's character never changes. Perhaps we're asked to recognize God and the people we meet, which is an interesting idea. Um, And I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it reminds me of this poem that I put on the the first page. Just a minute. Um, You know, there's a Gemara. I'm just going to briefly, briefly describe it here in source number one, in which Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi has a conversation with Eliyahu Hanavi, and he asks, when is Mashiach coming? And Eliyahu Hanavi says, why don't you go ask him? 
What do you mean, ask him? Oh, he's already here. Mashiach is, is, uh, is sitting at the gate of Rome. There's a, a lot to unpack in this Gemara. Uh, Mashiach is sitting among the sick people. Rashi says among the people with leprosy. And uh, he's, he doesn't, everybody else unties their bandages all at once, but Mashiach leaves some of his bandages on at any moment because he never knows when he's going to be called. He's waiting to be called. So Rabbi Shubin Levi makes a trip to Rome and he asks, uh, and Mashiach greets him by name because Mashiach knows who everybody is, apparently. And uh, Rabbi Shem bin Levi asks him, when are you coming? Mashiach comes, says, today. Wow, unbelievable. Mashiach does not come today. And later, Rabbi Shem bin Levi uh, confronts Eliyahu with this, Mashiach lied to me. And Eliyahu was like, what did he say? Oh, he said he's coming today. No, 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 he was quoting the Pasuk. Hayom im Today, if you listen to his voice. Meaning, Mashiach can come today on condition that, all the, that everything works out. But why am I telling you this? Because this Gemara assumes that Mashiach looks like a regular person and Mashiach is already here. No, we don't believe that God looks like a person. But maybe, maybe, maybe Mashiach is, is somebody who looks like a regular person. So this poem by Danny Siegel, I got this poster. I used to have it up in my uh, caravan. Got this uh, from my parents years ago. Uh, it had, the text, it's a bunch of people dancing and the text in the middle is the text right here in source number two. Um, if you always assume the person sitting next to you is the Messiah, waiting for some, for some simple human kindness, you will soon come to weigh your words and watch your hands. And if the person chooses not to be revealed in your time, it will not matter. I like that. I like that idea uh, because it's a Jewish variation of what Bill Renson said here in source number number 23. But not that the person I'm talking to could really be God in disguise because we don't believe that, but rather it could be, could be uh, Mashiach uh, in disguise. And uh, to illustrate this point, I want to, one second, I want to uh, share with you a scene from Joan of Arcadia. It's from the pilot episode. Oh, wait one second. Sorry, I needed to... Uh, uh, no, I, I did... Did, did, I, uh, did I adjust it for the... Yes, for motion and video. Okay, I did that. Okay, good. Um, okay, finding the exact, exact moment. Just a minute. Okay, this is the first time that God shows up to uh to talk with uh with Joan and she's finally becoming convinced uh cuz God looks like a regular person who like a regular high school high school kid and Joan does not believe God and God says well how about that promise you made of all of this and he mentioned specific things you were going to do if I let your brother live so no one could have known that except for God so Joan has now become convinced that um that this really is God so watch this Okay, so let's say you're God. Thank you. I want to ask you some questions. No. No? No, as a general rule, I ask questions. Are you are you being snippy with me? God is snippy. Let me explain something to you, Joan. It goes like this. I don't look like this. I don't look like anything you'd recognize. You can't see me. I don't sound like this. I don't sound like anything you'd recognize. You see... I'm beyond your experience. I take this form because you're comfortable with it. It makes sense to you. And if I'm snippy, it's because you understand snippy. Do you get it? 
Sort of. Good. Because I'm really not snippy. I've got a great personality. You'd like me. Oh. I'm not religious, you know. It's not about religion, Jim. It's about fulfilling your nature. Okay. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Hollywood presents God as very non-denominational because they... Because they, uh, they need to present the series to people of all different backgrounds. So you're not going to get explicitly Christian or Jewish or Muslim, etc. Okay, fine. Almost done. I definitely haven't done that. Exactly. Well, let's, let's say you're God. Joan, I am God. Okay, well, let's be a miracle. Okay. How about that? Let's see you make one. So, do you just go around appearing to people? Or? Uh, minor correction. I'm not appearing to you. You are seeing me. Okay, fine. Okay, there's a lot going on there. Um, but the concept, just, just one thing, the concept that why is God appearing to Joan, at least originally as a high school kid, because that's who she is. She's a high school kid. So God appears in a form that she's comfortable with. Okay? As we see in, see where, there's so much to do with, where I'm not going to be able to show any uh, uh, clips of the, the other movies, but the, in the movie Oh God, in which God is played by George Burns, and over a, a, an old Jewish comedian, he was in his 80s, uh, when uh, when he was in uh, this movie and the two sequels, ended up living to the uh, to a hundred. Um, so Jerry, the main character, says to God, "How come you've got, you just a voice like everybody's?" God says, "Empathy. I'm talking to you in a way you can accept." God says, "I don't like to brag, but if I appear to you just as God, how I really am, what I really am, your mind couldn't grasp it." So God ends up appearing to Jerry as a regular person, but here's something that I only discovered this last year when I, re, when I read, I rewatched the movie and I read the original book from 1971, the movie's from 1977. Uh, God is more or less the same in both cases, in the book and the movie, but the main character, the narrator, is different. In the movie, the main character, Jerry, is played by John Denver who is a singer, who is a nice guy, and he plays a really, really nice guy, not so Jewish. Meaning that God doesn't appear to Jerry as somebody who looks like him or sounds like him. But in the original book, it's told in the first person, and it's told by Avery Corman or somebody like him, meaning a New York Jewish journalist who, is encounter, who encounters God. So, and God sounds very Jewish, much in, in this, uh, in the book, more than in the movie. So, God says in the book, God says to, uh, to, uh, to the main character, you can't record God's voice. Like, it won't come out. I really don't understand. Oi, 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 obviously he's Jewish. Because it's not my real voice. I'm just making this up for you so you could hear it. I mean, I'm, I'm God over everybody. I'm not speaking Chinese, am I? So, the narrator says, actually, you sound a little Jewish. And God says, what then? You're a little Jewish, aren't you? Yes. In other words, why does God sound like George Burns or look like George Burns? Because he looks like, and this is elsewhere in the book, he looks a little like the narrator's uncle, who's an 
old Jewish guy. They changed that for the movie because they didn't want to make the movie too Jewish. Okay, George Burns is still a Jewishy comedian, but with general appeal and, you know, his very successful uh, radio and TV show. He wasn't playing a Jewish character uh, per se, the uh, uh, Burns and Allen show. The, but I thought it was interesting that here in, in Oh God, the book and the movie, like later, like uh, more than 20 years later in Joan of Arcadia, they both have the, the idea that God appears in a form that you would be uh, comfortable, with, comfortable with. And uh, this, of course, only works to some extent, like, meaning the movie is in some ways is better than the book of, uh, of Oh God. In fact, uh, I'll mention this now since we're uh, running out of time. I copied uh, most of the Wikipedia article of the, uh, uh, about Oh God uh, in order to describe the plot in case anybody wants to briefly uh, read it and, uh, and not, not necessarily see, see the movie. But the main premise of Oh God is very different from the main premise of Bruce Almighty, which I see we're not going to have time to, to focus on. The premise of Bruce Almighty is that the main character, Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, is angry at God because he got passed up for a promotion, so he starts cursing out God and saying he's not doing his job right. So God, in the form of Morgan Freeman, uh, shows up and says, okay, well, guess what? You now have my powers for a week. Let's Let's see how well you do. And he doesn't do that well. And he messes a lot of, uh, of things up. That's one premise of like, if you can encounter God in a way that's different. Joan of Arcadia, jo- God keeps showing up every episode and saying, I need you to do this. Like you are my messenger to accomplish these things. And hopefully you'll realize eventually what the purpose is. Bruce Almighty, it's the, oh yeah, God says, let's see how good you are at being God. And the moral is that really God's much better at being God than a regular person would be at being God. But in the movie, oh God, this is more like, what would it be like to be a prophet? What if God showed up today and gave somebody a message to be speaking in God's name? How would people react to that? Some people would get very excited, but a lot of people get very skeptical and the way it's presented in both the book and uh, especially in the movie, representatives of organized religion will get very angry because what do you mean God's talking to you, a regular person? He's not talking to us when we are clearly God's representatives on earth. So in some way, oh God is a satire of religion, but in other ways it relates to, uh, it, it opens up the question of how could you know that somebody's a prophet? How, how would a prophet be treated? Maybe that's why we don't have prophecy anymore because it just, uh, we can't really imagine how that would even work, God's giving messages to, uh, uh, to somebody. We don't live in that, that, kind of, that kind of world. There's a great scene, I'm just going to uh, uh, describe it, read the description here from the Wikipedia article. So, um, uh, Jerry Landers finds his life turned upside down. A group of theologians attempt to discredit him by challenging him to answer a series of questions written in Aramaic which clearly, you know, this guy, Jerry, doesn't know anything about, while locked in a hotel room alone in order to prove that God is contacting him directly. Okay, so what happens? Jerry doesn't know what to do. He's just an ordinary guy. He's locked in the room. So uh, knock at the door, room service. Jerry opens the door, and look, it's George Burns dressed as a bellboy. 
Um, so a uh, guy shows up and he gives uh, Jerry his food and he takes the pages. Okay, ha ha, you know, and God hands the pages back to Jerry and he says, okay, now the answers appear on the pages. And Jerry's like, but, but they're in my handwriting. And God's like, yeah, well, who's, who's would they be in? Which is, a, I think, sheds light on the whole issue of what does it mean that we say the Torah is from Hashem, but then what would the Torah be like? How would it be written if it were from Hashem? It has to be written in terms that people can understand, so it must have been written down by a person. Right, Hashem dictated it to Moshe. God didn't write out the Torah. God dictated it to Moshe because it had to be written in somebody's handwriting. Well, somebody's chiseling, whatever. point is that the issue that... This is another example I would give of something that we're... In talking about God and pop culture, even though the very premise is problematic and we don't accept the idea uh, in traditional Judaism that you can just have somebody playing God and God looks like a person, uh-uh. Nevertheless, it can shed light in, as a, like a compare and contrast in some of our, uh, our traditions. Just to uh, 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 wrap it up, the, uh, wrap up the, this movie, so God... Uh, uh, gives Jerry the answers to present to these ministers, and the ministers take the answers, and they're like, these are all wrong, because the answers don't fit with what they think uh, the religion says, even though you know, the whole problem of what does religion say versus what, is, what does God say. So God tells, tells Jerry to, to call the, like, the head of the, the ministers, like the head of the council, a phony. And the minister understandably gets upset, and he sues uh, Jerry for, uh, for, for libel, for slander. So there's this uh, great scene in the courtroom which touches on the issue of if God were here, how would you even know? And I'm just going to play, we have a few minutes left, um, going to play part of that scene uh, for you now, just a minute. Uh, share content. Going to where's the uh, right? So uh, Jerry calls is in court. He calls upon God to show up, and uh, and he says, "You see, the fact that people were even considering that God might be here, um, you know, you see that it's possible." Anyway, God unannounced, God shows up in court. It's him. Bobby, it's him. Bobby is Jerry's wife. Uh, this, this is most irregular. Your Honor, he's... I'll take it from here. May I ask who you are, sir? You better spray me in. Remember who believe. Okay, tape recorder. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me, me. So help you, you. If it pleases the court, and even if it doesn't please the court, I'm God, Your Honor. <laughs> That's the minister on the right and his lawyer. Your Honor, I'd like permission to question this witness. Sit down, Sonny. I've answered enough questions. Saw me. 
Just like he said. Talking about Jerry. Each word true. The man tried to tell a lie, his tongue would snap off. Which I wouldn't say I could say about everybody. Why is it so hard for you to believe it? Is my physical existence any more improbable than your own? What about all that hoo-ha with the devil a while ago from that movie? Nobody had any trouble believing that the devil took over and existed in the little girl. The exorcist. All she had to do was wet the rug, throw up some pea soup, and everybody believed. The devil you could believe, but not God, huh? I work in my own way. I don't, I don't get inside little children. They got enough to do just being themselves. Also, I'm not about to go around to every person in the world and say, look, it's me, I want to talk to you. So I picked one man. One very good man. I told him God lives. I live. He had trouble believing, too, in the beginning. I understood. I'm not sure how this whole miracle business started. The idea that anything connected with me has to be a miracle. Mm. Personally, I'm sorry that it did. Makes the distance between us even. Interesting about Nisim. But if a miracle helps you believe that I am who I say I am, Give you one, good one. So now he does a, a card Please trick. Speak. He makes uh, cards appear and uh, nah, and disappear. Oh, good. Pick one. This one. Skipping a bit. Seen the Okay. Got to get these shoes fixed. Now I'll show you a trick you haven't seen. It's got a big finale. Watch this, Your Honor. He disappears, but he's still walking through the courtroom. I know how hard it is in these times to have faith, but maybe if you could have the faith to start with, maybe the times would change. You could change them. Think about it. Try. And try not to hurt each other. There's been enough of that. And it really gets in the way. I'm a god of very few words, and Jerry's already given you mine. However hopeless, helpless, Mixed up and scary it all gets. It can work. If you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it would help you to know that I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Your Honor, I rest my case. And the doors close. Ooh. So that's the climactic uh, scene in the movie. And then the next part is that the judge calls the uh, the parties into the uh, chambers and they plays back the tape, and they hear the judge, but not God. Because as God had told Jerry earlier, God's voice can't show up on tape. And as explained in the book, not the movie, because it's not God's voice anyway. It's only the way that we perceive God. God's voice isn't actually there, as, as, as God tells Joan of Arcadia. Um, and as it go, I'm not appearing to you. You are seeing me. So the way that it concludes is that the judge says, well, I'm going, you know, it would seem, I understand why Jerry thinks that, I'm just paraphrasing, that, uh, that he, he understood God, that he perceived God, and therefore I'm dismissing the, uh, the slander case, but, uh, but in fact, uh, I'm not convinced that God appeared to us. And 
that raises the issue that we haven't really addressed. Like, how do you know? How do you even know if something's a real miracle? How do you know if somebody's a prophet? How do you know if this miracle was caused by God or not? There's always room to doubt. There's the free will. Um, I just thought that was interesting, and there's it's worth. I wouldn't say it's a deep movie, but it's a, it's a movie, and it's still a Hollywood movie with all the pros and cons of that. But it raises it raises some important issues, and just to uh, to sum up, that I think that despite the clear contradiction between the very premise of these movies and TV shows, that you can have somebody looking like you can have God appear in human form, that doesn't fit with Jewish tradition. But despite that, we can still compare and contrast and get some interesting uh, ideas from uh, from it. Anyway, that's uh, I'm wrapping up this uh, this session. Um, I will now uh, I'm going to end the recording. I'll stay if anybody has any. I'll, I'll go through the, the chat and then uh, stay if anybody wants to uh, write or or, uh, or say anything. Uh, anyway, um, thanks for uh, for joining me and uh, join me uh, one week from now, uh, same time for uh, for the next topic. Uh, take.